Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast. In association with Line Trust. Specialist Fund Managers. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Total Football. We were treated to one of the best ever adverts for the Premier League on Sunday with Liverpool and Spurs sharing four goals, two penalties and one absolute thunderbolt of a strike from an unlikely source. Today we will unpick that game at Anfield as well as casting our eye over Arsenal's thrashing of Everton, a significant fall in the value of Sterling after his comic miss at Turf Moor and trouble brewing for the two Davids at West Ham. We'll speak to Chelsea authority Matt Law on Antonio Conte's current state of mind. Spoiler alert, he's not happy. Conte, not Matt. Plus, an audio trip to Spain with Guillaume Balaguer, who joins us to discuss the current Real travails in Madrid. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm delighted to say we're joined by our friend from the north, Luke Edwards. Hello, Tom. How, How are you everyone? doing? I'm good. I'm really good. Pumping the air with delight to be back in the. I uh, am. The I, I, I'm. I'm pumped. I've had a had a very relaxing transfer window in that uh, I had it off. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm back to work. I was at Crystal Palace today for Newcastle's quite entertaining but poor quality one-one draw. I'm just in a good mood. Good, good. Well, we will uh, we will return to the Newcastle game, but it, we have to start with the game. We do. At Anfield, we do. a marvelous football match. Mm. Let's tackle it chronologically, Luke. Um, Salah's first goal at the beginning—that's just shoddy defending from Spurs, isn't it? A, a dreadful back pass by Eric Dyer to present him with a chance so early in the game. Yes, I was keeping an eye on that while Roy Hodgson was um, delivering his uh, his post-match thoughts. So was it Rafa Benitez? But I did see it at the time and and did think, yeah, just. Just a terrible, terrible mistake. One of those things that um, you would hope top players don't make. Uh, and it was Eric Dyer, wasn't it? So um, that bodes well for the World Cup. Um, just a very sloppy kind of back pass. And um, Salah takes it very well. For me, I think Salah probably has been been one of the best players in the Premier League this season. Uh, Certainly if you discount all of the Manchester City teams. Well, I was going to... If you'd, if you'd not so rudely interrupted, Tom, I was about to say... him and I Ke- call it hosting. Well, hosting, I call it interrupting. So, you know, I'm here in the studio, so I'd, I'd like I'd like some airtime. <laughs> um, uh, no, I think along with Kevin De Bruyne, he has probably been my one of my... Well, one of my top three performers. I don't even know who the third one is, so I'm just going to say the top two. So he took the goal really, really well, as you'd expect him to. Absolutely. Uh, 
before Spurs got their equaliser, Deli Alley uh, took a rather dramatic again, fall again. in the box. Yeah, getting a reputation that Tom Daly would be proud of. Is it just frustration that's causing him to go to ground like that at that point in the game, or is he just being really cynical and thinking, I'll take a booking and I might con the ref? Uh, I'll go with the second option. Um, I don't really buy the frustrating thing. I mean, you know, we all get frustrated. I don't throw myself into the floor in the middle of the office when I get frustrated, do I? I just don't do that. I do other things, but I don't do that. Uh, so, no, I just think he's, he's cheating. And if you look up the definition of cheating in the in the dictionary, which, believe it or not, I have done, um, it says to, uh, to con an advantage, to deceive. Uh, diving it very much falls under that, and it, it, it you know you get these this kind of view that it's this kind of professional cheating where it's kind of acceptable. No, it's just diving, and and Daly Ali uh, unfortunately um, seems you know if you're being kind, you say it's streetwise, and that other nations do it, and other bar players should learn to do it. The shot being so nice, no, I don't think I don't think they should. I think he is getting a bit of a a bad reputation for doing this now and I think this was another example of that and he, he should be ashamed of himself it wasn't even a particularly good dive was well it if you're going to do it do a good one yeah. quite. Spurs equalise of course through an absolute screamer from Victor Wanyama have you seen a more exciting goal this season than that one um, I haven't seen a shot that makes me want to instantly conjure up images of Alan Partridge and foot like a tractor engine or tra- I can't even remember the exact quote traction traction engine yes uh, yeah, so it, just when I saw that, I did just Alan Partridge sprung into my mind. Striker, Yes. And there's another one with a swear word, which I won't say. Um, That's wise. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so no, just, I just love goals like that. I, you know, from a slightly unlikely source where, and you, and you sort of think, oh, no, 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 don't hit, don't hit. Oh, oh, OK, hit it. I love, I just love those. I really do. Yeah, what a treat. Uh, the first penalty Spurs were awarded, missed, of course, by Harry Kane, took two very obvious deep breaths before running up to strike the ball. That's rarely a sign of confidence, isn't it, from a penalty taker? There was a long break before that penalty. Does that affect players when they have to have it play on their minds? I think it must do, because I think you probably... You know, in my limited experience of taking penalties, you've got all those different. If you've got a long time to wait, you're sort of thinking, oh, I'll pull it to the left. No, I'll put it through the right. Do you know what I need to do with this one? I just need to really welly it. And then, oh, I think the goalkeeper's looking at me, seeing where I'm going to put it. I just think it probably does naturally. It's unlike him, though. It is unlike him. Doesn't make me particularly confident. Again, I'm going to bring up the World Cup when England inevitably at some point have to have a penalty shootout. I'm not too confident, Harry Kane, now, because I think you're right. I think it did get to him. However, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. He did make up for that later on. So, um, yeah, no, I think it probably does play on your mind. But it is unlike him to, to sort of show that almost a human fallible side, I suppose. He's so sort of ruthless in front of goal normally. Salah popped up right at the end with what seemed to be the winning goal. Didn't have a massively involved afternoon, but he came up trumps in the end, just kind of arrived and beat Alderweireld with ease. Um, what is it that makes what we call big game players thrive in those situations? What, what's different about them? I don't know. I think it, a lot of it must be mental. I, I, I don't... I, I mean, if you knew what turned a very good player into a big match player, then you would market it or you would coach it. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things in, in all sorts of sport that is uncoachable. Um, I call it divine intervention, perhaps, just that these players... Sports men and women um, have the ability to to shape games at the big moments, and I don't know what it is. It just some players seem to have it, and the only thing I can really put it down to is that mental ability to anticipate, 
to be confident and brave enough to put yourself in that position where you can define a game, you can shape a game. And believe it or not, I think there are a lot of, certainly in footballers, there are a lot of players who actually, at the big moments, have a mentality where they don't want to put themselves in the position where they are the ones who are going to define the game. Salah is obviously not one of them, and I think that's 21 goals this season, uh, which for not for an out-and-out striker is pretty remarkable. Yeah, sensational return for him. Then finally, the second penalty for Spurs. <laughs> Van Dyke fouling his yeah. man like a kind of clumsy FIFA animation. But I did he foul him? Is that not well, just a really good dive? Hmm. Well, I, I, I think cheating. Don't get me wrong; it's cheating, <laughs> but it's a very good dive. I fell for it in real time. It's it's very clumsy, isn't it? What Van Dyke did there. He seemed to be off balance. His knee seemed to catch, but it didn't. I thought it did. No, I, I'm I'm going to put it out there that it didn't. I think it's a very very good dive, but it's still cheating, boys and girls. Uh, and what I will say, being the slight football geeky coaching expert, is that he lets the ball bounce, doesn't he, Van Dyke? Doesn't really, he's not decisive enough in getting rid of the ball the first time of asking. Doesn't win that. He allows the loose ball. So I think if you're doing it from a coaching point of view, they'll be saying that. I feel like I'm maybe I'm going out on a bit of a limb here when I'm saying it's a dive and nobody else seems to. You're looking at me like really vacantly. I, it looked it looked to me like he'd made contact, but I'm very open to rigorous. I'm going to say dive, and I hope he's retrospectively punished. Well, I'm sure a lot of people in Liverpool will agree with you, but other people were full of praise for Edward Smart running the line, and he awarded. The penalty it seemed to be good officiating at Anfield, like they were taking their time. They came to a kind of not a call into Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp's not happy again. He's very prickly, isn't he, in a post-match interview with Jurgen? He's a bit disappointed. I quite like that. Mm. I've had a bit of a tete-a-tete with him this season, mm. but I like that. But no, he was he he claimed wrongly that the first Harry Kane penalty was offside, and it wasn't because it flicked up off Lovren's boot. Know the rules, Jurgen. <laughs> He can't. He probably hasn't seen 14 replays that we all got the advantage of. Moving on from Liverpool Spurs, it was Arsenal 5, Everton 1. A hat-trick for Aaron Ramsey, but more excitingly, possibly mm. for Arsenal, was a debut goal for Aubameyang. Uh, certainly seems to be uh, an upgrade on Olivier Giroud, but there's a sense it's possibly not entirely Wenger's decision to sign him. What does it mean for Lacazette, the arrival of the fella from Borussia Dortmund? Well, it's a little bit of a slap in the face for Lacazette, but tough. I mean, that's football. Uh, unlucky. And what I quite like, I mean, I did like, I know Matt Law's uh, joining us later, but this, uh, I did like Matt Law's take on it in the Sunday Telegraph. It's like, you know, if Arsenal's going, he's going to have some fun. And this is like peak Arsenal. This is ultimate Arsenal. We're just going to pack the play. We're going to pack the team of attacking players. Not going to worry too much about defending. We're just going to go for it. And I've, I think I've said this before. I, I like Arsene Wenger um, a lot. I have a maybe it's just like the age I am, and the, you know the, that, the great teams at the start of his Arsenal. But you know this is a guy I can't remember the exact stats. But Arsenal fans are constantly going to Wembley and they're constantly moaning. And when you're a proper football, another football, fan, I won't say proper football fan, although I mean proper football fan. Um, uh, you know, you never go to Wembley. It's like a once in a lifetime and they're still whinging about this guy. But I think he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. I reckon that League Cup final against Manchester City is going to be an absolute humdinger. You've heard it here first, 6-5 Arsenal. <laughs> Everton, meanwhile, looking absolutely dreadful. If you look at that starting lineup, mm. most of those players at some point in quite recent history have looked perfectly decent. And what's gone wrong for them now? Was Sam Allardyce actually all along just brought in to do exactly the job that he said he wasn't brought in to do, which was keep them up? And he's already gone into full-on slag-off players mode, which I always think is 
the last card that um, under pressure manager he sounds defeated already doesn't he yeah it's almost like he knows it's only a short term project I mean I don't I don't know that for sure I just wonder whether it is we're already into the you know the the long goodbye of Sam Allardyce as Everton manager I really wouldn't be surprised if he was he was gone in the summer we will see what happens there. It was Burnley 1, Manchester City 1 up at Turf Moor on Saturday. A, a, an unbelievable result given the pattern of that game for the first two-thirds of it. City now presumably are so far ahead, they're just trying to make us laugh uh, is, is the objective. That's the only possible explanation for that Raheem Sterling miss. What's the case for the defence for Sterling there? Um, oh, well, you did a very good lead, the falling, the falling value of Sterling. I like that at the start, Tom. I just wanted to get that placed on record. I mean, it's just very funny, isn't it? But I do wonder whether the likes of Sterling and De Bruyne have have basically played a hideous amount of games. And if they are going to win the quadruple, they're going to have to... I think it's approaching 70 games they're going to have to play pretty much. And I think they've... With the odd exception, they've been involved in every one. I do wonder whether there's just a little bit of, you know, a bit of jadedness is going to creep in. But it's just a wonderful, wonderful miss from Raheem. And... um, (laughs) I think we should applaud him. Don't don't <laughs> criticise the guy. Applaud him. And quite frankly, Burnley supporters will remember that game for the rest of the season, won't they? 1-1 one, one draw and then Raheem Sterling misses. Well, it's going to be miss of the season, isn't it? The thing I found really weird about that was he, afterwards it looked like he'd been sort of tackled by a ghost. He fell to the floor. He presumably just frustrated with himself, but he kind of fell to the floor so dramatically and suddenly it was... Uh, Really odd reaction. Maybe it's that just kind of like, oh, I just I've been fouled, and then realizing that nobody's around him. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, it was, just, it was just it's just a wonderful, wonderful miss. Football's great. Congratulations, isn't it? Raheem. Well done. You've done some wonderful things this season, and that wasn't one of them. Football's great though, isn't it? A silly miss just completely turns the game. The crowd suddenly get into it, and then Burnley out of nowhere get an equaliser. Uh, what did you make of the lack of substitutes on the City oh, bench? Oh, yes. Of a possible Here seven. we are. Here we We've are. We've reached the big We've point. We've reached the point. Okay. I have no... This is this disclaimer. I have nothing but admiration for the job that Pep Guardiola has done in his second season at Manchester City, having spent mm, a lot of money. Well, I don't know the exact figure. He spent a lot of money, done incredible things with Man City. A joy to watch. But the six substitute thing, I mean, come on. You're the richest club in the world. You were going to pay sixty million for Mares, and you didn't get him. So you throw a tiny little strop. I mean, they've got the biggest, the, the biggest, the best squad in the Premier League by far. They've paid more money than anyone else. They spent more money than anyone else, I believe, over the last two years. And then he throws this to make a little tiny petty point to who? Who's he making the point to? To to the people at Manchester City who've allowed him to spend loads of money that pay him thirteen million pounds a year, I don't think so. Is he going? Is he making a point to the people who said, "Oh, it's a bit ridiculous that you're going for Mares because Leroy Sane's out for six weeks"? Who's that point being made to? It's just the most ridiculous. It's the most petty strop of the season. Oh, I've not got enough subs. Oh, poor me, poor Pep. I haven't got enough. Oh, I'm really. Oh God, I'm I'm on the bones of this squad now. I'm really I'm really up against it. I'm really up against it. I can't even name a full bench. So don't tell me that I'm a lucky manager with loads of resources and I can only win things with money. Because look, I've only got six subs. I like how he's become a sort of sad Cockney in this reading of his. uh, Of me? Have I gone all? (laughs) Oh, I've only got. I've only only got. I've only got six subs, Governor. (laughs) Well, apparently he learnt English initially. um, A little teacher uh, on Leighton High Road. So. Um, that's where he lost, got the Cockney accent yeah, from. Quite possibly. Of course, the youth team played the night before. Oh, who so. cares? Just he wasn't going to play him, was he? Just stick why one do, on the. Why bench. do we even have seven subs in the first place? Because it's that's massively unnecessary. It's not massively unnecessary. Why did he do six? 
Why did he do? I, just, I can't get I, worked up about it. I'm really worked up. It was oh, just Pep. No, you let yourself down. I love <laughs> Pep as well. Everything about him. He's a, he's got his bald as well. I like bald. Of course. Let's move on to the game you were at on Sunday, Luke. Palace won, Newcastle won. Mm. Penalty given for a, a bit of a non-pull, wasn't it? Uh, which got Palace back into the game, and then Shelby got away with one towards the end of the game that looked a lot worse. What was your view of those? Uh, uh, oh, it was very interesting, and, and actually a credit to both um, Roy Hodgson and, Ra- and Rafa Benitez is that they were both pretty cool about it. You know, and they, you know, Roy was just sort of like, well, you know, if that happens outside of the area, most of the time it's. It would be a foul, but that sort of thing goes on all the time in games and they're not given and I'm the manager who got the decision, so I'm you know, I'm pretty happy with it. But he didn't make a big deal out of it. He just sort of said, you know, if if we hadn't have got it, I'd have been frustrated. But, you know, we, we certainly didn't deserve to lose the game, which is correct. Palace didn't deserve to lose the game. But he was just, you know, sort of fine with it and, and you know, just completely ignored the Shelby element, you know, was just said it's one of those things. And then Rafa said Pretty much exactly the same thing. He didn't use it as an excuse. He didn't moan. Ultimately, it's it's the correct decision. It's just a frustrating for everybody that those penalties aren't given all of the time. So then nobody would grab anyone's shirt in the penalty area. And as you say, Shelby was just an idiot because he did an even worse one um, in stoppage time, I think. so, And got away with it. So in the same game, you've had the same offences and two different outcomes. So we all want consistency. Not the first time John Joe Shelby's done something slightly stupid. Carl Darlow, a big reason why Newcastle stayed in that game. He looked very decent to me in the second half, came for a lot, looked very brave. But Newcastle, of course, have signed the Slovakian goalkeeper, Martin Dubravka, on transfer deadline day. Are we expecting him to be the new first choice? It's quite hard on Darlow, isn't it? Um, No, not really. I mean, Darlow makes good saves, but he's probably always got at least two or three ricks in him in a game. In a game? In a game. And as a goalkeeper, as a goalkeeper, you you just can't do that. I mean, it's, it's a shame he's just not... I don't think he inspires particularly confidence. I mean, he sometimes he just does these weird kind of coming for crosses things and gets nowhere near them. And then the defenders are all looking at themselves and he, he sometimes drops the ball. It's not great for a goalkeeper, I feel a bit. So I think his confidence has gone. He kind of knew that Rafa Benitez doesn't rate him. He's, he's chopped and changed the two goalkeepers already, Rob Elliott and Carl Darlow this season, and then signed another one in January. So I... Um, he's, he's a nice lad and I think he probably I think his probably time at Newcastle is coming to an end for Kyle Darlow and I suspect uh, Dubravka will play against Manchester United next weekend Brighton 3 West Ham United 1 down at Falmer a wonderful goal to uh, put Brighton back ahead uh, West Ham fans turning a little bit uh, in this game there was a lot of sort of sack the board being chanted uh, in fact I saw one banner which said you have killed us which seemed a little bit over the top Newcastle fans for example would probably take David Gold and David Sullivan wouldn't they oh, interesting philosophical question hypothetical question um, look uh, it's very interesting isn't it that um, with West Ham there's this residual ill feeling isn't there about Upton Park and the move to the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that they are turning on the board rather than than Moyes, actually. Um, but they they do... There's always a club, isn't there, in every relegation battle that Newcastle have been there a couple of times when you don't expect them to kind of get pulled in and then you realise that the players are just not great. Um, there's not great team spirit. There's not great leadership. I thought David Moyes had actually managed to sort of get to grips with things quite quickly and was on the way to rebuilding, the road to rebuilding his, his managerial reputation. They're in real trouble now and along with um, Southampton had a good result, which I'm sure we'll get on to, but the other club I look at it is Stoke. I, th- I think West Ham and Stoke could 
could go. And as a Leighton Orient fan who was extremely angry about the whole Olympic Stadium move, a little bit of personal, I would laugh if West Ham went down in their big new Olympic Stadium that's rubbish for watching football. But, you know, they take out that frustration out on the board and it's probably been building and building and building. And it, But, it, you know, it's the move to the Olympic Stadium has not worked out for them for, for a number of reasons. And quite frankly, they should never have been given it for free in the first place. Different podcast, that one, Luke. Uh, West Bromwich Albion 2, Southampton 3. Uh, lovely tributes to Cyril Regis yeah. for the game up at the Hawthorns. Um, how do you think uh, Daniel Sturridge will fare up there? He's He had moments in this game where he did look a cut above. Um, but West Brom need to stay fit first and foremost, don't they? If they're going to get out of trouble, they're bottom now and looking a little bit adrift. They do. Um, it's not gone well for Alan Pardew. Um, and that might be a bit of an understatement. I think he was a probably a pretty underwhelming appointment in the first place, given uh, his recent track record. Daniel Sturridge, look, I might be biased, um, and I read um, Jamie Carragher's. Um, I thought Jamie Carragher made a very good point in his column in, in the Telegraph about why Daniel Sturridge chose West Brom because Newcastle are so unstable and there's sort of ill will. But I just think at the age of 28, as an England international. You could go and play for Rafa Benitez at Newcastle, where they absolutely adore their strikers, where there's proper pressure, 52,000 people, great atmosphere, really prove something, and he went to West Brom. There's something about that stuck in my throat in terms of maybe it's an outdated image of what I would have done in the same shoes. I noticed Ian Wright said he would have gone to Newcastle in, in, in the same position. I just questioned Daniel Sturridge, and we've had reason to question Daniel Sturridge's motivation uh, for a while, and a 28-year-old man saying he'd moved to West Brom for family reasons, I found a little bit strange. So he, in in theory, on paper, he is the difference between a team staying up and going down. But Dan, there's something gone wrong with Daniel Sturridge's career over the last 18 months, for sure. And I'm not sure the move to West Brom entirely convinced me that he was going to turn that around it's an interesting thing isn't it West Brom brought in new owners and everybody thought it was going to improve things and got rid of Tony Pulis and actually the new owners haven't improved anything and the changing manager hasn't improved weird that isn't it whenever a team gets new owners everyone thinks it's brilliant they're going to be like they're going to go up a level and they're loaded look at Everton that's not yeah and then then eight times out of ten maybe even nine times out of ten it doesn't work out that way um uh, having said that, I think most everyone in Newcastle, when we're going to start talking about owners, would love to see the back of Mike Ashley. But um, there we are. That's probably another podcast. In we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Don't worry about that. Manchester United to Huddersfield. Now, Huddersfield beginning to look a little bit like an easy win uh, for a half-decent team in the Premier League. Uh, surprised to see Paul Pogba on the bench. This is just Mourinho sending a bit of a message, isn't it? Saying, oh, I'm in charge after that limp display at Wembley uh, in midweek. I think it's a power play, yes. I think um, Paul Pogba strikes me as, as the sort of character that every now and again will need a little bit of careful man management in terms of motivation. He's still a fantastic player. I still think he's one of Manchester United's best players. And I think if you were to ask anybody... Manchester United's best starting eleven, Paul Pogba is in it. But I think it was a, it, it was, a, it's interesting. He did it against Huddersfield at home, um, so it was a game he probably thought Manchester United were would be good enough to win without Paul Pogba. But I, I just think it was, it was just sending a message. It's a bit of a power play from Mourinho to just sort of, well, not so subtly say you're not too big to be dropped, and if you if you play badly, your place is under threat. So um, good, good management, I think personally. Another player who might need some man management is Riyad Mahrez at Leicester mm. City. Nowhere to be seen yesterday for their one-all draw against Swansea. Uh, it seems to me like Puel's actually dealing with this quite well. He's basically saying, oh, you know, we hope he comes back and it feels like a sort of softly, softly approach. 
this just resolves at the end of the season, doesn't it? When he leaves for loads more money than they bought him for and uh, gets his big move. But he'll be back, won't he? I would guess so. Um, it always leaves a bit of a sour taste, doesn't it, when a player effectively goes on strike? It's just the strop, isn't it? It's just, yeah, and it, it's very difficult to reconcile for your, your average man on the street or woman on the street or just basically anybody on the street um, that... Uh, you know, some professional footballer is great, doing a great job that everybody loves to do, just goes on strike. But, you know, on uh, the counter-argument to that is, you know, the guy stayed once. He's been made it pretty clear he wants to leave. They got a fantastic offer from Manchester City. He could have won a Premier League, another Premier League title. You can understand why he's frustrated. And I think, ultimately, yeah, he will probably come back in once he realises he's got nothing else to do five days, six days a week and he's a bit bored and he isn't earning any money because he's not been paid, that he'll probably come back. But, yeah, we, we, you know, the, I, I think this is the, the end of Mares as a, as a Leicester City player. It's just a shame that it's kind of going to drag on. And then the problem is for Leicester is that they other clubs will try and take advantage of the fact that he's thrown this big strop and will try and drive the asking price down. But they're still going to get... A, I think they bought him for 500000 didn't they, or something ridiculous. And we're going to get £60 million. But yeah, he'll, he'll be gone in the summer. I think it'll be best for both Leicester and him. Just time, Luke, for a couple of questions from the popular social media website, Twitter. Mm. Uh, asked for you as a northeastern correspondent. Uh, this is from Andy Rivers. Mm. Does Mike Ashley, he didn't actually call him Mike Ashley, he used the ruder word, genuinely want to sell the club or is he just indulging in one of his regular wind-ups? Um, I think he genuinely does want to sell the club. I just don't think he's found someone that he believes genuinely wants to buy it. Um, so there's been no discussions with Amanda Staveley, the prospective buyer, since November. Um, we're now into February. Uh, nothing's going to happen. I, I suspect Amanda Staveley might come back in. Uh, with another bid in the summer, but I was asked at a talking on Thursday whether I thought it, it would be, it would happen. I, I don't think it will. As in, you don't think you'll sell, or you don't? Think I think sell he to would Stavely. sell. I just don't think he'll sell to Stavely. I, I think the the relationship. There's a uh, how can I put this? There, there, there's been quite a lot of bad will now generated. Certainly, as far as Ashley sees her, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I really would like it to happen, but I I, I am still of the view, despite hearing from her and the people around her that the interest is genuine and she still wants the club and she still thinks it's going to happen. I just think if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. Um, and, you know, by the time... I don't think anything's going to happen to the summer with any interested party. And, uh, you know, nobody's got anywhere near his asking price now. Mike Ashley doesn't sell for less than he wants. It's just not going to happen. So if Amanda Staley was going to buy it, she's going to have to meet his asking price. And quite, she's got nowhere near it so far. Finally, one from Scott Carlin. Will Newcastle still be an attractive club to buy for Amanda Staveley if they get relegated? She says yes, which I suppose is encouraging. But uh, we shall see. I mean, you know, she has made three bids. That That is actually true. But, you, you know, she has made three bids that, if I'm being brutal, she knew wouldn't be accepted. Um, there's been a lot of noise around it. There's been a lot of talk. She said a lot of the right things. Um, she seems genuine. She's, but, you know... It's all very well talking about wanting to do these things for Newcastle, how serious you want to, to take it. But until you've actually bought the club, it's, it's meaningless, it's pointless, and she's not got anywhere near the asking price. Mike Ashley won't be bullied. Yes, if they go down, would the asking price drop? Probably. But he could, you know, he whether he's still, you know, he's would Rafa Benitez stay if they go down again? I don't know. According to Amanda Stavely, Rafa Benitez staying 
is absolutely imperative. You know, she she loses interest if Rafa Benitez leaves as manager. Does Rafa Benitez? There's all these like caveats of reasons why she wouldn't buy it, and um, I, I just can't see it happening. And I hope I'm wrong um, because she has said, you know, she talks a really good game about what she wants to do at Newcastle, and it needs new owners. Newcastle United need new owners. It needs rid of Mike Ashley um, if it's ever going to realise its potential. And um, hopefully that is Amanda Staveley. I do think she'll come back in with another bid um, once. Newcastle's kind of future is decided in terms of what division they're in and we shall see but no if I, w- if I was a betting man I, w- I would say it's not going to happen with Amanda Staveley and there are other interested parties but nothing serious Well let's hope it's all resolved very soon Luke because you're beginning to sound very very bored uh, of it I am yeah <sighs> Chelsea's 3-0 home defeat to Bournemouth in midweek has prolonged Antonio Conte's furious mood, which is now so severe it threatens to engulf all of West London. No football writer knows more about Chelsea than Matt Law, who's here with us now. Matt, what is Antonio Conte angriest about at the moment? Uh, Angriest about? I was about to say he's angry about just about everything. Um, Certainly the transfer window. We, We found the last two transfer windows. He does kind of lose the plot a little bit. Um, it happened in the summer where he was just an angry man for basically the whole of the summer. And he's become an angry man for the whole of January as well. And it's there are two theories on this. One theory is that he does it on purpose to try and push the club as much as possible for new signings. And then the other theory, which I, I subscribe to a little bit more, is, is just that he's, he's very unhappy with the way business is done at Chelsea um, and the fact that he doesn't really have the final say over anything in terms of incoming players. Have there been any big transfer targets they failed to sign or is it just a sense that there should be more players coming to the club? They haven't kind of failed to sign them because I don't think they ever realistically tried this month. But I mean, for instance, Conte um, handed over his list whenever it would have been probably sometime in December. And, you know, three of the players on that list were Alexis Sanchez, Virgil van Dijk and Alexandro at Juventus. Now, I think probably the club went through the process of inquiring how much it would take to sign those players and were quickly decided they'd look further down the list. So I don't really think you can say they failed to sign them, but they didn't really pursue them beyond finding out that they were more than they wanted to pay, if you see what I mean. Quite, yeah. What what is it about how things work at Chelsea which seems to make them so volatile, that the turnover of managers, although there are clubs who have had more managers, it, it just seems like no one is ever there for the real long term? No, no one tends to do much over two years. and It's, it's just been the way... The way they've decided to go, they they would dispute this, but I don't actually think they value the managers particularly highly. Um, I think that they think that recruitment can be done better if it's taken out of the hands of managers because I think they thought uh, very early on when Abramovich took over with all his money that giving managers that amount of money meant that they kind of pursued targets that were good for them at that point, but not necessarily good for the club for the long term. So what they've what they actually have tried to do over the last few years is limit the player turnover a little bit, um, but obviously the manager pretty much changes every every two years, and they think that by doing the recruitment themselves and them controlling the playing squad, that they can actually achieve better results than uh, putting the responsibility with the manager. Who is in charge of it then at Chelsea? Well, these days, since since Michael Aminata left, it's very much Marina Granovskaya who is an interesting story in herself. I mean, she basically started out way back when, before Abramovich took over at Chelsea as as Abramovich's PA. 
um, came over with him in 2003 to help him set up several of his English business interests, not just Chelsea, and then gradually got more and more involved. And now she's in a position where she's she's basically quasi-director of football without the title. Quasi-director of football will be a wonderful job title. I'm hoping that <laughs> something, someone does get that before uh, the end of the season. Ross Barkley looks to have done his hamstring. It's not the first time this injury has come up for Chelsea this season. Is that bad luck, coincidence, or something which needs to be changed in the way Chelsea are training? Well, it's, I mean, it's a, if, it, if it's confirmed a hamstring, which they do fear... Um, it would be the eighth hamstring injury of the season. Um, and that, that really does suggest that they need to change something. I mean, three or four is pretty bad luck. Eight would, would suggest that uh, something's going a little bit awry in terms of preparation. Um, because quite a lot of them as well have actually not been done during games, um, which again would suggest that there's, there's maybe an issue with the training and the amount of games um, together with the amount of training that they do and the uh, the way that Conte pushes them. But it's, it's a real problem for them. And I do think it's something that will be scrutinised, not just outside Chelsea, but within Chelsea as well. I think the powers will be, will be looking at, uh, at why this is happening so much. David Luiz has been one of the big names missing for much of the season for Chelsea. What's his status currently? <laughs> he's, he's, he seems to be the latest one on the naughty step. There seems to be... With Conte, there seems to always be a player on the naughty step. Obviously, for most of last season, it was Costa. Uh, Kennedy's been there, although he's not such a high-profile player. Uh, Charlie Massonda's been there, again, not such a high-profile player. And, and it's very much been Louise basically ever since the Roma Champions League home and away. He annoyed Conte when he came off by re- reacting badly to being substituted. And then annoyed him even more by uh, basically going to him ahead of the, the Roma away game and suggesting how the team should play. Bizarrely, Conte actually took on board some of what Louise had suggested and then massively blamed him for the 3-0 defeat. And uh, it's really not been the same since. He's, he's barely played. So. Yeah, obviously he had his injuries, but um, yeah, it seems, seems to be uh, one, of the, one of the many reasons they haven't been quite at the same level this season. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is, apart from the fallout with Conte, Louise wasn't playing well. He wasn't play, It wasn't like the David Louise of last season who you know, proved us all wrong and, and was superb. He was he was more like the David Louise we thought they'd be buying before uh, before his fallout with Conte this season. Twenty fourteen version. <laughs> Giroud left Arsenal to play more football, but surely he's going to be going back to the subs bench now, Morata's back. I think he will play more football than he would have at Arsenal though. Um you know, the way that Chelsea are now, they've really only got the two strikers. And Morata keeps picking up injuries now. He's had a few personal problems. I reported last week that uh, a very good friend of his was killed. And I don't think that they think that Murata's in the, the best place, both physically or mentally at the moment. So I do think Giroud will play a lot. Um, and I certainly think he'll play a lot, an awful lot more than he would have done at Arsenal. He's available for all the competitions as well um, that they're involved in, uh, which is a massive bonus for them. So... Yeah, I, I, I don't think he'll be sitting on the bench. I can actually see him playing more games than Morata for the final however many games it is of the season. OK, it's it's what for the way on Monday night for Chelsea. They're a team also going through a bit of a tough spell. How do you see that panning out? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny one because uh, the, the two teams that seem kind of on the, the edge of a bit of a crisis, really. Um, I think with Williams definitely back for Chelsea. I think there's a fair chance Giroud will start. I think that will that will, should ensure that they, they actually win. 
But Chelsea, just in this period at the moment, where it's very hard to predict which way it's going to go. And certainly a defeat at Watford would uh, would really have us heading towards a possible meltdown, I think. Um, I think Chelsea will do it, but I don't say that with any great degree of confidence. And I'll probably only also say that as well, because, you know, Watford have been really, really dotty lately. Finally, Matt, and perhaps most importantly, you were at Arsenal on Saturday. Did you meet Rihanna? I didn't. I didn't even know she was there until afterwards, which is a massive mistake on my part. Tragic. Yeah. Tragic. So, didn't make uh, it to the press box. Didn't matter. Well, I, I did notice that the picture that she took with us or was uh, sort of to the side of the mix zone. So I'm assuming that I didn't talk to reporters while stopping with Rihanna. But, uh, so the boys in the mix zone might have uh, got a glimpse. But no, I was, uh, I was blissfully unaware, unfortunately. Very unfortunate. Thanks very much for your time, Matt. Cool. Cheers. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Concerning times for Real Madrid and Zinedine Zidane after a two-all draw with Levante on Saturday. They are now down to fourth in La Liga, 19 points behind leaders Barcelona. Spanish football writer and broadcaster Guillaume Balaguer joins us now. Guillaume, we were talking about a world-straddling dynasty for Real Madrid last year. What has gone wrong since then? If you look at the bigger picture, uh, they've won the Champions League three times in four years. So we are still talking in a way about something unique, about a club that uh, has managed to do things that others haven't, winning the Champions League twice in a row, for instance. But when you win so much uh, and uh, and you do it in, in such a small uh, period of time and with the same players... The more you win, the closer you are to stop winning. And I think that's, uh, that's what's happening to them. Mentally tired, uh, there's no enough challenge coming from the bench, not enough uh, news way, new ways of uh, attacking or, or defending or, or new ways of, 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 of surprising the opposition. And then you just get caught. So it, it is a mixture of teams knowing what the uh, danger of Real Madrid is, Players who are not performing because they think, well, when the, when the big glory day, I'll be there. And uh, a coach that took advantage of a, of a high quality group of people, but now that the dynamic is negative, is completely unable to turn it around because he just doesn't want to change, change the status quo. He just doesn't want to challenge absolutely anybody. Everybody knows who the 11 are. Isco knows that uh, in a big game, if the BBC is ready, he'll be on the bench. And, you know, the, 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 the young lads, the Marco Asensio, the Lucas Vazquez, no, they have no chance when the big games come. And that's the way that Sidana's won. So are we right to actually ask him to change now because he's losing? Or should Real Madrid realize that to stop this dynamic, you basically have to change the guy that took you to win three Champions League in four years? Does Sidan still have the fans behind him? Yes and no. They realize that he has never been a coach uh, that will revolutionize football or, uh, as I said, they, they will win down to tactics or strategy. That, that will never be there. But he, he managed to um, to change uh, a squad that, that was depressing under, under Rafa Benitez and then just basically uh, gave, gave the squad what the squad wanted. Uh, they wanted a certain way of playing. They, don't want, they didn't want to 
too much discipline being imposed on them. And the players rewarded him for that. Everybody's aware of it. And everybody's aware that, that that's down to Zidane's, for instance, convincing uh, Cristiano Ronaldo to be out of the team or to be on the bench or to be replaced as he was at the weekend. So the fans are aware of that. But they also aware that he's not one to change things as they are now. But everybody's holding their breath because, of course, if against PSG they manage to go to the next round, who is it to say that Real Madrid cannot win the Champions League again? The problem is, if you are um, a director at that club, the one who takes decisions, if you are uh, Jose Angel Sanchez, who is the number two of Florentino Perez, you really should be brave enough to say, OK, this is this has gone far enough and we're going to now change on the bench and change some of the top players. I think the the top players are going to be changed, some of them. That is in the plan. It's not clear what's going to happen with Zidane. I think it will depend on, on what happens on the Champions League. You, you say there that the, the top players are, are going to be replaced. Who can you see leaving this summer? Because it does seem something needs to happen to freshen it up a little bit. And who are who are Real likely to target? And, and do they have the, still have the money available to them to, to, to persuade, for example, Tottenham to sell Harry Kane? Oh, don't, don't, don't worry about money. No problems there. <laughs> but but, but uh, actually convincing Spurs about Kane, I'm not sure that's possible at all. Not now, anyway. Uh, I think it's, uh, there's such a synergy in, in that club that I don't think Harry Kane, who knows that for as long as he plays this way, and he's pretty convinced that he can do it for a while, uh, he knows that uh, you know Ramadi will be there or thereabouts. And, and if he's not Ramadi, he'll be one of the top teams in Europe, and, uh, and he will uh, go through that. Uh, through that experience at some point. So changes are going to happen. Uh, I think um, Cristiano Ronaldo is asking for 50 million euros net a year and Real Madrid have got no chance of giving him that. But if he puts them under enough pressure, uh, even though Real Madrid know that he cannot go anywhere, he cannot go to Manchester United, the PSG don't want him. Basically, uh, that means that uh, he's going to stay and they want to keep him happy. So maybe just go from 23 million net to 30 million net or something like that. So Cristiano should stay. Gareth Bale, it's one that has become like a personal uh, a personal mission for Florentino Perez, who signed him, to make him one of the top players in in the world and to keep him there. If health health permitting, he wants to keep him. Benzema will probably be for sale. Uh, they like Modric a lot, but maybe Cross as well. Uh, they 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 still obviously will keep Sergio Ramos, but uh, he may just be another centre-back coming and there will be a new goalkeeper. They want to get two and they want to make uh, either De Gea or Courtois one of the goalkeepers that they go for. So, yeah, it'll be, as you said, they, they need a new impulse. They need a, a, a shaking up and you can you can do it by a change in the coach, but it will be easier in a way if you actually bring two or three top stars and, uh, and give Real Madrid yeah, the push they need. So are we, go, are we going to see Real flexing their muscle then doing their usual tricks, you know, with the, the reports that come out of the linking them with players in uh, in Marsa and then and then pouncing? It, could, could it could it upset a few of the, the other powerful clubs in Europe if they're going to be very active in the transfer market? It's a strategy that has worked for them for a long while. It's one that, yeah, it's not, it's not nice. It's one used by everybody now. You know, you just have to see what's happening in, uh, in, in, in January in the Premier League, but it is one that they're going to play again. So they're already doing that. Uh, conversations have taken place with the entourage of the Courtois. Uh, De Gea knows that even though Manchester United may offer him a new contract, Real Madrid will be 
will be there too, and and they will have to choose one one or the other basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and we thought this would be the same. The hurricane situation, I insist, is is different. There was a a report on Mundo Deportivo, Catalan newspaper, saying that the Spurs had actually admitted defeat already and they were willing to sell Harry Kane as long as there was not much fuss about it and they got 200 million. And out of which, uh, the only thing that's true is that Harry Kane is called Harry Kane. <laughs> nothing else is true in that report. And Spurs got really upset and uh, I'm pretty sure they got in touch with the newspaper to let them know that, that it's not right to just report something based on absolutely nothing. Mm. Uh, no, he has not asked to leave. Uh, no, he, has, he, he doesn't think that leaving is the thing to do right now. But of course, if, um, if Florentino Perez decides that the man he wants, he will just make a strategy. I do believe that there's a good relationship between um, Daniel Levy and Florentino. And he will do it a little bit nicer. Uh, but I don't think, even though the name will come up, because if you want to have, say, Hazard, which there is the real target, you better put Harry Kane there. So Hazard feels a little bit scared and makes his little work to actually come, come out of Chelsea, uh, which I believe he wants to do. Exciting times in prospect then. Thank you very much for joining us, Guillaume. Cheers, thanks. Thank you. Time for your Hero of the Week and we cannot overlook the sensational work of Cammy Keith this weekend who scored two goals for his team in their game against Rothes. Keith, of course, plays for Keith FC. A self-titled brace which meant Keith became Keith's joint all-time leading goalscorer. A heartwarming story, Luke, but what is your favourite footballer's name of all time? Well, it would have to be the former German international Stefan Kuntz. Because it means art in German. Stefan Kuntz. Yes, we all remember his uh, appearance in the uh, unnecessary remake of Three Lions in Stefan Kuntz. Quite enough. That's a lot from this week's episode of Total Football. We will be back same time next week inside your listening device in time for your Monday morning commute. If you enjoy sending tweets, please feel free to direct some towards me at Tom with an H Gibbs. Give us a five-star review on iTunes if you're enjoying what we're doing. We are powered by positive adjectives here on Total Football. Our theme tune is by Polvo. Buy their albums at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist fund managers. If you're enjoying being part of the Telegraph Sport podcasting family, then do make sure to download and listen to Brian Moore's Full Contact. It's the most opinionated rugby podcast as every week, Brian and a host of big names from the world of oval balls analyse the biggest and most controversial moments from the weekend's rugby. Your Tuesday commutes will never be the same again, if you like rugby. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.